It's time now for the Lamb Macerlane Legal Show. Each show, heard every other Thursday at 1230, will feature different lawyers and their guests from the law firm of Lamb Macerlane. And now, Lamb Macerlane attorneys George Zambano and Jake Becker will be discussing construction law issues related to residential construction from the perspective of consumers and contractors. Good afternoon, folks. Um, this is George Zambano, and with me is Jake Becker. We're attorneys at Lamb Macerlane in the litigation department. Um, we practice in federal and state courts in the region uh, throughout the state, and uh, uh, but primarily in the five-county southeastern area. Lamb Macerlane is a firm of 35 lawyers with offices in Westchester, Bryn Mawr, and Philadelphia, and our website is lammacerlane.com. Jake? George and I are going to talk today about kind of navigating how to handle disputes with contractors if you're a homeowner, and conversely, if you're a contractor, how to handle payment issues with contractors. We're going to focus primarily on the Pennsylvania Contractor and Subcontractor Payment Act, which concerns disputes between contractors and homeowners, and we're also going to go into mechanic liens if payment is ultimately never paid. So I'll get started, uh, pardon me, you'll get started with the contractors. Yeah, so initially, for the Pennsylvania Contractor and Subcontractor Payment Act, more colloquially known as the Payment Act, it was passed in 1994 to cure abuses between the building industry and homeowners. Uh, primarily, the things you have to focus on are everything that happened after the, after the most recent amendments, where you can no longer waive any provision of the act. Before, a lot of contractors would try to put in provisions in their agreements that would negate some of the, privilege, some of the privileges homeowners have and kind of speed up payment terms. Uh, Governor Wolf recently signed in some amendments, and you're no longer allowed to do that. Um, however, this is not only to protect homeowners. Contractors have a lot of protections in here as well. For example, they're now allowed by statute to suspend performance if a homeowner stops paying. Before, that was just a common law right, which basically is judge-made law, but now they have a statute to protect them in the event that they need to stop service. Um, payment of an invoice that has not been made within 20 days after a billing period is grounds for them to cease work and wait until they get payment. Um, in terms of withholding payment, if you're a homeowner, the only way you have a right to do that is if you provide the contractor 14 days written notice of whatever defect or justification you have for not paying. Before, that was a soft date, and you could make an argument to the contractor after that. However, the statute is, is very tough now, and the courts have upheld that if you don't give the contractor 14 days written notice, you waive any claim to any defect. So basically, if you have a homeowner putting up sheetrock at your house, and it's crooked or the seams are starting to show through, so you don't want to pay them for that work. If you don't tell them after 14 days, you no longer have the right to withhold payment. So that's a big, that's a big change in the law. Now, ideally, this was to level the playing field, um, but one of the things you have to be aware of, if you run afoul of this law, normally when you have a lawsuit against someone, if you win or if you lose, you each pay your own attorney. However, this statute put in that the party who wins, they get to recoup their attorney's fees, which can be very expensive in this kind of construction litigation. So the idea is that that may push people to negotiate and settle these before, 
but you should know before you get into this that it could be an expensive endeavor if you lose. So you want to make sure you follow all those specific rules, specifically giving the notice. This, the main point of this statute is that they want everyone to have everything in writing as close as possible to the incident and the construction. And in the event that you ultimately don't pay, contractors have a few remedies. They can sue under this act, or they can also try and pursue a mechanics lien, which, which George will go into greater detail about. Am I correct, uh, Jake, that uh, although the, uh, the act you just talked about has some positive things in it for homeowners, it seems to be primarily weighted towards the contractors, correct? Absolutely. So this payment act is really going to shield contractors in the event that, so they're not just stuck if someone stops paying. Most of the times the rights asserted from this act will be asserted by contractors. They're not, the homeowner will not avail themselves of a lot of these acts, a lot of the provisions within it. So I think the point for our listeners is that it's very important when you're having renovations done or alterations done and you enter into a contract that you review the contract very carefully. Um, We'd like you to get legal advice. We know that can be expensive, but you ought to seriously consider it depending upon the size of the contract. And if you run into trouble with the contractor um, or the the quality of the work, as Jake said, uh, make sure you act quickly, have it reviewed, report to the contractor any defects, especially if you're going to withhold payment. And, and George will touch on this later with mechanic liens, but one of the things we used to advise clients on was make sure you get waivers uh, from the subcontractors that they're not going to assert any privileges they have to institute a mechanics lien if they're not paid from the general contractor. Because if you have a project done in your house, you're most likely going to pay one contractor to do it, and then he's going to hire a bunch of subcontractors to then do all the work w- under his supervision. Before, you could get waivers from those subcontractors waiving their rights to do things. This new act says that you can't waive any provision of this act. So even if you're limited in that regard from the waiver, you can't have them waive these payment instructions. So no matter what is in your agreement with them, they can walk off if they're not paid. They can take what they have, and they can go from there. So they can stop mid-job if after 20 days they haven't been paid. I'm sorry, 20 days after the invoice was issued not when the work is completed. All right. We're going to move on a little bit towards the uh, mechanics lien law, which dovetails into what uh, Jake has been talking about. As many of you know, a lien is the most common lien that most people are aware of with respect to their homes and their property are mortgage liens. You get a mortgage, you buy a house, and the mortgage is a lien, which is a claim against the property in the event the mortgage is not paid. The mechanics liens are uh, long-standing, and in Pennsylvania it has a very powerful mechanics lien statute. The mechanics lien law is there primarily for the benefit of contractors and suppliers, and essentially in an oversimplified way allows them to put a lien on your property if they're not paid. However, uh, the statute, which we'll go through here in a little bit without too much detail because it can be complex, is very technical, and all of the Timelines and rules provided in the statute have to be filed, ex- followed explicitly, or the lien, won't, the attempted lien, won't be valid. Generally, um, um, mechanics liens relate back to the time the work starts. So, if a contractor starts work on your house in January, 
and doesn't finish up until May, for example. But there's a dispute over payment, and you don't pay them, and you follow Jake's advice about notice, and you don't have a waiver of a mechanic lien, the uh, contractor can go through the lien process, and when, he, when and if that uh, contractor gets a lien on your house, the date of the lien, the effective date of the lien, is going to relate back to that January start of work time in most cases. Um, <clears throat> Further, lien rights for um, new construction will also survive uh, a sale of the property, whether it be a regular arm's-length sale or even a foreclosure sale, um, except for if there's a foreclosure on a mortgage loan, a purchase money mortgage. A purchase money mortgage is the amount, is the loan you take when you buy the house. It is not a second mortgage or an equity line of credit, which many people have, which is a lien on their house. Uh, that, uh, that purchase money mortgage trumps the mechanics lien, if I can use that word, but the, um, the second lien or the equity line of credit, which is also a lien, does not. Um, an owner of property uh, does not have an automatic defensive payment claim which, which uh, against mechanics liens on commercial projects. And I'll explain defensive payment in a moment. However, in most owner-occupied residential projects, the owner, the, per- the property owner, will have a defensive payment to a subcontractor who is not paid by a contractor if the owner has paid the general contractor, the prime contractor, in full, not in part. Jake and I, uh, Jake had a case recently where we had that problem for a homeowner who had partially paid the contractor, but not in full. The con- there was a lien dispute. The contractor's work was defective. Uh, the contractor put a, the subcontractors put lien claims in because although the owner had paid the general contractor for the work, as I recall, it was foundation work and something Correct. like that, right, Jay? Yep. The, um, the lien holders were still able to provide, prevail with the lien. And in that case, the fatal flaw was they trusted their contractor to pay all of the invoices from their subcontractors. They never asked for proof of payment. They just gave a partial amount of money, and they were going to pay the rest later, which is not uncommon because these homeowner projects can be very expensive, and you're not always going to have the full amount you need up front. So it's not uncommon in these contracts to put a big down payment down and say you'll pay the rest after completion. But in that situation, you are exposing yourself to a mechanics lien because technically you have not paid in full. Your invoice may not be due yet, but you have not paid the full contract price. So the one benefit of doing it that way is you get to separate the payments. But the one way you're exposed to danger is that you are opening yourself up to a mechanics lien without the full payment defense. With respect to uh, mechanics liens, in a normal building project of a house or a commercial building, there's a general contractor usually or a prime contractor who, as Jake mentioned earlier, usually and often hires subcontractors or other businesses. For example, a building of a new home, there'll be a general contractor that's in charge, that has the contract with the owner to build the entire home. However, oftentimes, for example, the foundation will be subcontracted out for that work. The plumbing will be subcontracted out to another subcontractor, uh, electrical, etc. The mechanics lien statute uh, is uh, available to, to the general contractor. 
the subcontractors and a subcontractor of a subcontractor, so about three tiers down, plus supplier and materials men, like the lumber supplier, uh, the, uh, the the company that's uh, uh, sending in all the wiring and electrical equipment. Those all can establish liens, but contractors or sub-subcontractors beyond that are not um, protected by the lien statute, can't take advantage of it. <clears throat> now, when a contractor wants to assert a lien, the first thing the contractor has to do is is give notice to the owner of an intent to claim a lien and has to be delivered to the owner, has to be delivered 30 days before the contractor or subcontractor can file his lien. And for all uh, claimants, the lien claim, when it's filed the 30 days thereafter, must be filed no later than six months after the contractor has uh, last worked on the job. Not when the job is completed, but when that contractor who's asserting the lien uh, has, has finished up. He has no more than six months to file a lien. We mentioned earlier that this statute is very technical. One of the things when we're asserting liens on behalf of contractor clients or on the other side, defending homeowners where liens are being attempted to be placed against them, is carefully going through these timelines, the facts, the contents of the notices, etc., in order to establish either the lien or to defeat the lien. And George, what would you recommend to a homeowner when they get that notice? What's the first thing they should do? The first thing they need to do when they get a notice of intent to lien is they ought to figure out the timelines as to when the work was done, when it was completed, when it was stopped, etc., and then they should seriously consult counsel right away because otherwise you're going to have problems that arise because that lien is going to follow shortly thereafter. Now, when the uh, lien is filed, first the notice, then a notice of a lien, filed in the court, served and delivered to the homeowner, then um, the contractor has another requirement in the law, which is to file a proof of service. That means proof that he had delivered that lien notice to the owner, and he has to do that within 20 days of the time the notice was served. Thereafter, if that all gets accomplished by the contractor, then there's a lien on the property. Like a mortgage lien, we'll talk about priorities in a few minutes, but it's a lien. However, it's not an order of payment. The homeowner, because they have a lien, that by itself is not like a judgment for payment of money, but obviously it's a lien that has to be dealt with. For the home, for the contractor to proceed to get an order or a judgment for payment Based on the lien claim, the contractor would have to bring a lawsuit on the lien, and he has to do that uh, within two years of the filing of the lien. And if he does not, then the lien uh, evaporates or goes away. It's not effective anymore. Now, <clears throat> I mentioned that mechanics liens for remote subcontractors and suppliers um, there are some people that are going to ha not have lien rights down the line unless they deal 
these remote contractors and remote material men unless they're dealing directly with the homeowner. For example, you're building a home or building an addition, you have a general contractor, you have subcontractors doing the work we discussed before, but you're the owner and you're going to have a new audio-visual system put in, uh, a theater perhaps, or sound system. You may go to the audio-visual place and contract with them directly, order it directly. You're going to, they're going to put that, those, uh, those pieces of equipment, the wiring, speakers, etc., into your home, and they're not contractors or subcontractors under your main contract. However, because the audiovisual people dealt directly with you as the owner, if you don't pay them, that audiovisual person, company, in this example, can go through and assert a lien as we've discussed before. Now, if there is uh, a lien placed, one of the big issues that comes into play when a property is sold if there are liens, I'm talking about mortgage liens and any kinds of liens, is what we call the priority of liens. Uh, once liens are on, then there can be a dispute about, especially where a property is sold for where there's not enough money to cover all the liens on the property, the mortgage and perhaps these mechanics liens. Then there's that what has to be determined is the priority of liens. As a general rule, liens against property are given priority in the order in which they are filed. In other words, first in time is priority one, and you go go in that process. Um, There are a few exceptions to this first in time rule. One exception uh, are uh, county real estate tax liens. They they have a, a priority over other liens. And the other exception pertinent to today's discussion are mechanics liens. Uh, Pennsylvania mechanics liens, as I mentioned before, relate back to the time that the first labor or material is visibly supplied to the property. So whatever the date of the start of the work or the delivery of materials is the date the lien is effective vis-a-vis this priority of liens. So if the lien doesn't come up, onto the property for six to eight months later, for example, a mechanics lien. And in the interim, the work has been going on for those six to eight months, but between three or four months after the work has started, the property owner borrows some money uh, for a, an equity loan and a mortgage, and that mortgage is a lien on the property, is placed on the property, say at month four. That mechanics lien is going to relate back in front of that in front of that uh, mortgage, not a purchase money mortgage, and trump, if you would, or take priority over the equity lien. Now, oftentimes, there are other issues and other ways that that can be solved, especially by lenders. Lenders who are borrowing money where work is being performed, they'll uh, try to get and will negotiate and won't give the loan oftentimes unless there's been an acknowledgement by the contractors, either a waiver of their lien or uh, an agreement to to uh, to not be to not have a priority uh, position. Mechanics liens uh, for the construction of new improvements survive pretty much any type of sale of the property. So a real estate purchaser, if you're buying a property, you need to make sure there are no liens. That often is accomplished. In most cases, people, when they buy property, get a mortgage. Almost all, if not all, mortgage lenders, banks, will require title searches to be done 
on the property before they will loan the money for the purchase. And those title searches, if the lien has already been perfected, will pick up the lien because it's the liens are filed in the public records uh, area for properties, which in Chester County and Pennsylvania counties is the recorder of deeds office. However, a purchaser needs to be aware that there's a possibility of mechanics lien may come into place after they've purchased the property. Um, where there's not a waiver above the liens, even if you have a mortgage. George, to help people anticipate who could potentially do that, file a lien after they've bought it, but work was performed before, who who has the standing or the ability to file mechanics liens against mechanics lien against the property? The uh, the general contractor who did the work and all of his subcontractors, unless there's been a waiver, which we'll talk about. Uh, which is allowable. But any of those contractors and subcontractors can file the lien against the property. Are there any limits on the type of work that is being done that qualifies or any improvement to the home they can file a lien? No, it has to be at least $500. It's pretty modest threshold. It doesn't have to be much money. So pretty much any kind of a project will will qualify for possibility of mechanics lien. As Jake said before, one of the things as a as an owner, if you're doing renovations, uh, for example, and it's a fairly substantial renovation, try to negotiate with your contractor to waive the mechanics liens. That may affect in the negotiations how you pay and where he, how he can be assured of being paid because he would have to give up his mechanics liens right, if that's what you're asking him to do. Um, but that that's a possibility. Um, uh, another way of getting off of uh, mechanics liens or, is a payment bond. Usually in commercial jobs, uh, contractors will post a payment bond. Owners will post a payment bond. Excuse me. That's assurance to the contractors that they will get paid if the owner doesn't pay them because the bonding company will pay them. And as a result, in 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 the face of a substantial payment bond, the contractors will then waive their right to file uh, mechanics liens. Now, <clears throat> I mentioned some of the time limits, uh, and we've already touched base on that, so I'm going to pass on that. But, um, George, one thing I did want to mention actually is, as we're talking about kind of the consequences of not paying. In addition to having the mechanics lien, if you do get sued under the Payment Act and you are ultimately um, unsuccessful and, and you do get a verdict against you, in addition to the attorney's fees, by statute, they are allowed to put in an additional 1% interest per month will be added. So on an annual basis, you could end up paying 24% per year for a, any wrongfully withheld payment. That's under the Payment Act, correct? Correct. Right. That's a, another reason why many people feel the Payment Act was accomplished mainly for the benefit of the, the contractors. Correct. This is, this is no friend of the homeowner by any stretch of the imagination um, because the consequences for failure to pay can be devastating to, to a homeowner. Now, when and if uh, an, a contractor files a notice of intent to um, assert a mechanic's lien, and uh, an owner may withhold money due to those sub. Let's, let's assume it's a subcontractor. Let's let's give a simple example. You're having your house built, and the uh, general contractor subs out the uh, framing work, the the framing that's done on the building. 
you, the owner, pay the contractor in your payment schedule for the owner, which includes payment for that framing work. Unbeknownst to you, the contractor, the general contractor, does not pay the, the framing subcontractor. You may not know that for a while. Uh, when, But then you get a notice of intent to file a lien by the framing contractor. In that circumstance, one of the issues you can do is withhold, to the extent you still owe money to the general contractor, is withhold money, um, and you should always do that if you have the opportunity to do that. Because, as they often say in life, follow the money. If you have the money held and withheld, then you're going to have a lot better bargaining position to resolve things and minimize the risk of having to pay twice. The worst example that happens to owners of property under this scenario where the contractor is paid but the subs are not is the owner ends up paying twice in a, in a worst-case scenario. They pay the contractor. Contractor doesn't pay the subs. Contractors flies the coop, leaves town, goes bankrupt, you name it, and the subcontractors who weren't paid have legitimate lien claims that you and an owner, as an owner, now have to pay essentially a second time to clear that lien. So it's a very powerful statute, as we discussed before. And if you're uh, if you're paying in installments, it's worth your time and energy to be asking your general contractor for some sort of proof of payment that along the way he's distributing funds to his subcontractors so that you can be involved in the process. Because the worst-case scenario is paying all of the money to the general and then finding out when you get all these notices from subcontractors that he he left town with all the money <clears throat> and, and you're stuck holding the bag. And if there's the example that we just discussed where you as an owner – have, do not have not paid the general contractor in full. You receive notice of an intent to file a lien or lien by a subcontractor. You still owe the contractor money. You withhold the money, as we've said you should do in every case. When you do that to the general contractor, withhold, say it's uh, $25,000 for discussion's sake, the, the general contractor, when you give him notice that you're doing that, which you're required to do, the, contra- the general contractor then has 30 days to do one of a couple of things. One, he can settle the claim with the subcontractor and get a release of the subcontractor's lien and waiver of his claims. Two, he can agree with you, the homeowner, the general can, to defend you against the claim by the subcontractor in writing and... Um, and you would still hold on to that money until he does so. And or he can furnish the owner a bond, a security bond, usually a payment bond for the mechanics lien that will be sufficient to cover the homeowner's risk in the event the, the subcontractor comes after him after you've withheld the money. Uh, but the bond then would protect you, and you would then you would end up paying the money you were withholding back to the general contractor if the rest of the job has been done correctly and without flaws. Um, so those are pretty much the highlights. Now, there's a lot of detail, a lot of complexity in both of the statutes that Jake and I have talked to you about today. We realize this is complex. We realize in 30 minutes we can only touch the surface. Um, but we uh, we want to give you a, a feel for the kinds of things you should be alerted to when you get into the the very expensive proposition of building a home, building a, a garage, adding on to a property where you're spending, in often cases, many many thousands of dollars. 
And if you take away one thing from this this show, this is a complicated process with very technical and firm deadlines. So as soon as you get any sort of notice, you may be in a situation where money is tight, and that's maybe why certain bills aren't getting paid. It's worth it to contact an attorney, ideally us at Lamb Mackerlane, so that we can help you out through this process and counsel you into making the best decisions you can. Because if money's tight, you want to make sure you're not wasting it. So, and you don't want to be put in a situation where, had you known certain things before, you could have done acted differently or in more informed. So, reaching out as soon as you get those notices is crucial. Folks, we're um, pretty much close to being out of time. We uh, certainly want to thank you for listening to the show. Uh, we want to remind you that today's show and our talk today is for educational purposes and is not intended as specific legal advice for any particular case. We hope the discussions today have been hopeful to you. Uh, if you have any questions about the issues we've discussed today, please feel free to call or email Jake or myself or any of our colleagues at Lamb Mackerlane. That's Lamb Mackerlane. Dot com where all of our contact information is, and the main offices, which are in Westchester, Bryn Mawr, and Philadelphia, the Westchester office is 610-701-8000. Many thanks for your, your time today. You've been listening to the Lamb Mackerlane Legal Show, heard every other Thursday at 1230 on WCHE 1520, the talk of Chester County.